Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. The week's dry weather has come at almost a perfect time for growers to get their winter crops into the ground. There is an expectation the area planted to winter crops will increase this year, despite the sharp rise in the cost of fertilizers. However, all growers I think should look at their costs to see if crops such as beans would be more profitable on their farm, as it's very much less dependent on fertilizers than cereals. So last week we looked at the role of the seed grower and the seed assembler in growing seed crops. We looked at the checks and balances along the way to ensure the seed crop maintained its quality through the process. Today we continue along the journey of the seed from the grower's field to the assembly plant, all the way to the consumer, and track through the techniques employed to ensure the seed maintains its standards through the process. I'm delighted to be joined today by Tim O'Donovan from SeedTech and Jerry Lowen from the Seed Division in the Department of Agriculture. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks very much for the invitation, Michael. Thanks indeed, Michael. Good to talk. Okay, Jerry, we might just first start with you. Um, so, Jerry, you might just remind us a little bit as regards the interaction that the Department of Agriculture inspectors have with farmers when the seed crop is growing in the ground right up to harvest. Indeed, Michael, yeah. Um, I'm the initial stage of it is it doesn't actually involve the department insofar as the contract is between the seed agent and the grower uh, and it's only after those contracts have been signed and established that uh, the seed agent sent us a list of all the growers around the country um, and then we allocate the various uh, crops to, or the crops to the various inspectors. Uh, so each inspector gets his allocation in his own local area. We have 23 inspectors around the country, ranging from Donegal to Wexford and Louth to Cork. So we have inspectors in most counties and uh, we allocate the crops to them. Uh, each uh, DAFM inspector then makes a contact with the grower in his own area and uh, from there they arrange the first inspection. Uh, there are three inspections in total. Uh, the first one is a kind of preliminary inspection insofar as the inspector will check uh, the labels that the uh, grower used to plant the crop in the first place. So uh, if he's growing C1 seed he will have labels for basic seed. Uh, uh, so there's a check done on the number of labels uh, just to establish that he has sufficient seed to plant the area that is in for, for the certification scheme. Uh, and they will also, in, in that inspection, they'll do a check on location of the crop and the area planted, plant stand, for instance, and maybe any indication of weeds that, that they're likely to look out for later on. So the second inspection then is the main inspection. Uh, that first inspection, by the way, is usually starts about, well, maybe the end of March into April. And then the second inspection is the main inspection, which is after the crop has eared out. And uh, that uh, involves primarily the uh, check on the identity of the variety uh, and the purity. So uh, just to, there is a check done to establish that the variety is true to type uh, throughout the crop and uh, the, uh, that it is pure, that there are no other cereal varieties in, mixed in into the crop as well. And also there's a check done at that stage on uh, the likes of wild oats, um, sterile brome, black grass, for instance. Um, there's a zero tolerance. We have zero tolerance for those three for wild oats, sterile brome and black grass. So there's a thorough check done at that point. And if there is any issue, uh, the crop 
can be rejected at that stage or alternatively if it is possible to uh, rogue the crop for instance if there's a small amount of wild oats and that that can be done also the third inspection then is uh, finally to establish that it free of wild oats sterile brome or black grass and uh, also lodging there's a check done on lodging just to ensure that the, that the crop is harvestable in in its correct form so that's essentially the process uh, which goes on from more or less the, as I say the end of march up until harvest time and uh, at the end of the third inspection the crop is either passed or rejected uh, there is a facility for an appeal. If we do reject a crop, the seed agent can uh, lodge an appeal and we can do a check on that again just to see if, if the crop can be rescued. So that's essentially okay. the process, Michael. Great. And is there any requirements then around the farmer having to do cleanliness or clean of combines and trailers? And is the department involved in that process just before, I suppose, between harvest and, and, and going to the assembler? The department is it's not particularly involved in it. I mean, the inspectors will advise growers to, of the critical importance of cleanliness of a combine and of the trailer, uh, because any contamination in either uh, the combine or in the trailer, it'll be picked up later on in the, the sampling and the testing for purity. And really, uh, any issue with cleanliness at, the, at that point, it's inevitably going to lead to problems down the road and, and the crop being, the seed being rejected subsequently. So uh, we do carry out the odd spot check when we have time. Quite, quite frankly, we haven't the resources to be going around checking combines and checking trailers and whatnot, but we do the odd spot check just to ensure that uh, they are clean. And, and really the, the important thing here is that it is absolutely critical because there's a high risk of rejection if there is contaminant in the seed and it'll be rejected further on down the line. I, ideally, it would be good practice to um, discard maybe the first tank from from the from the harvest of, of the seed crop, uh, just to make sure that the combine is, is fully cleaned out. Okay, okay. And Tim, this is, I suppose, where where um, the seed assembler kind of comes into the process as well, because you're certainly a part of that um, uh, quality control checks. I suppose from I suppose where Jerry kind of finishes off, or the department finishes off there, um, the trailers are loaded, if you like, and are, and are delivered into the yourselves the seed assemblers what sort of criteria is involved at the weighbridge before that seed is accepted into your plant so i suppose michael yeah um so we we operate a passport system so in kind of the middle of june once the crops have passed uh, the inspection with the department of agriculture a passport is issued to the grower with the variety and a couple of other details and that passport has to be signed by the grower and delivered into our yard with the load that it's um, related to. And uh, that's signed by the grower to say that it's the correct variety and the correct trailer and all the checks and balances have been completed. Uh, just stepping back a second, um, I mean, to back up Jerry there, the seed assemblers would have staff who go out and check combines and check trailers and lorries, Michael. And uh, we would spend a lot of time, especially for the multiplication of basic seed and pre-basic seed, uh, no load coming into our yard comes in of those two grades of seed without a thorough combine check and also a trailer check. Um, and I suppose another thing we do is we don't allow growers to tip up a load. It comes straight from the field in the trailer to us because if, it, if it's tipped up and assembled in the yard, uh, there's another risk of contamination there. So they're just things that we do ourselves for the high grade seed. 
Um, and I, it, you know, with modern combines uh, being quite large, there's a lot of traps and a lot of places where seed can 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 get caught. So we do our best to try and ensure that a grower is, you know, at the start of a season or the end of a season, that the difference what the previous crop was. There's a lot of um, things that we do apart from the visual inspection on the combine to ensure that we don't have a risk of contamination because there's an awful lot of work has gone into that seed to get it to the 15th of August. And at the last minute then for it to fail, it's heartbreaking on, on everyone concerned, okay? Um, in the Once the passport is in across the Weybridge, um, I suppose, look, a lot of our work has been done in the field all year. So we would know if a crop is coming into us, we, we would have, uh, people have signed off on it at various stages um, like the department sign off on about two or three visits, uh, whereas our own people would sign off on a number more than that. Um, so we do an inspection at the trailer. Uh, the cover is open back fully. Uh, there's a person up on a gantry with a, a sampler, and they also do an, a visual inspection on the trailer. Um, I mean, what can often happen is in the covers, there can be a previous crop can be actually caught in the cover. It can be caught in the bars in the trailer. Uh, various things like that we're looking for. I mean, we would do a visual inspection on the chassis, on the wheels, just to make sure that there's nothing carried through to the intake because at the, the pre-basic and basic level, we're on 99.99% purity, which is one in 10,000 grains. And to be brutally honest, um, I mean, pre-basic and basic, there's a zero tolerance. So you're actually on 100% purity in effect. Um, we then take a sample, Michael, and that's... Uh, uh, done with the, the probe that everybody's used to as a grain intake yard. That sample is taken into our laboratory where there's a trained staff member goes through it under a light, under a microfine glass, just looking for, um, as Jerry was saying, the tree, the big tree weeds will be the sterile brome, the black grass, the wild oats. They are very simple to pick up on. Um, if there's wheat and barley, barley and wheat or oats, stuff like that. And then the last thing, I suppose, is that we just look at it for sprouting and for diseases. So obviously the seed must be sweet and sound. And if there's an obvious amount of sprouting, uh, then we can take it further and bring it in for a test. Um, a Hagberg falling number test can be useful if it's wheat, or we can get a tetrazoleum test done quickly. Um, but that that's really only if we have a worry about something or for in a difficult harvest. And at that point, then, uh, once it's uh, passed all the intake checks, the load is, is, brought, is brought through to our intake and passed straight through the, the intake process. OK, Tim, a very thorough inspection indeed in, in terms of bringing it in, in that far. So yeah. obviously seeds then, the more than feed grain, they're, they're more than likely going to be um, a, a bit wetter than you would like for storage. So I presume they, they all have to be dried. And is that drying process slightly different in 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 seed grain than it would be in feed grains the difference will be that the, the slowness or the time taken um, it's a lot slower to dry seed than it is uh, feed grain because the temperature is lower but generally we will not accept seed across the waybridge if it's over 20 percent moisture now we're living in ireland where the climate can be against you and we're all very aware there's a lot of work on into the seed crop so if a grower and a difficult season, a challenging harvest, I mean, we're not going to reject seed if we think that there's a good chance of getting it across the line of 21 or 22% moisture. And it, it basically, but that generally doesn't happen too often. 
So we're bringing it from, we'll say, 18 or 19% back to 14 and a half. It just takes a little bit longer at a lower temperature. We also use quite a bit of air floors, whereas uh, to hold the seed, and that can often be useful as well in um, challenging year where you have a lot of seed comes together in the one day and you have to have it segregated. We use uh, separate bays to keep it on air until a dryer becomes free. Okay, so nice and gentle, Tim, I suppose, is the, is the yes. key word really with it. Tim, you mentioned there are passports that the, the uh, farmer uh, who's growing the seed or the seed grower, if you like, gets a passport which comes across to you or, uh, through the Weybridge. Does yeah. that passport or if you like that um, uh, field, the amount of, uh, of, of grain coming off that field constitute a, a relatively big lot and, and it's followed through all the way to the consumer that you sell that seed to? Uh, yeah, in some cases, yes, Michael, for the high grade seed or where a variety is starting off its process, its multiplication life cycle. You know, for the first year, I can think of one or two varieties. Even this year, we only have one field in the country. And that obviously is going to come through our process from start to finish. But where a variety is well established and it's been multiplied up for blue label seed, especially um, see, uh, growers, once they've passed all the checks and balances at the assemblers intake, once they've passed the Department of Agriculture, they will be mixed together and they will be put together into large bays because logistics just wouldn't allow, Michael, with the, I, I don't know, with the close on maybe... 30, 40,000 tons of dependent on the variety the, on the seed, uh, there can be an awful lot of growers involved in that and a lot of agents. So logistics don't allow to carry it through from field right through to end user. Sure. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Jerry, I might just come back to you then, maybe just thinking about around the same kind of topic there uh, as regards seed lots going out to the consumer at the far side. How does the, the, the department track these seed lots through the year um, just in terms of if there's any problems with those on, on the far side for, for people sowing blue label seed? Well, effectively, we, we wouldn't track them through the year. It's up to the seed agent to track them into his premises. And uh, from there, um, the, the, the agent has control of the, of the seed lot. The seed lot is actually established at the point of packing. So it's only at the very end that the seed lot is established. And... Um, it there's a maximum amount of seed allowed in a lot which is 30 tons for cereals so each uh, say if if a group agent has 300 tons uh then then he has whatever 10 lots is it uh, in that so uh it's it's the seed agent that actually tracks it into his own premises and it's only at that point that we do a check to see uh, what comes into the premises and where it is stored and that it's segregated and that it's labeled properly. So um, we, we would do a check on the amount of seed that comes in because we will know how much seed is expected from the total that is uh, that has been certified out there. So we'll, we'll know what's expected. We'll check that in the premises. So we know that the, the amount or that the seed that has come in is in fact what was checked in the field. And once the seed has gone out, then Jerry, is there is there any does the department uh, plant up any of those seed lots themselves to just uh, to, to to check them along the years in case there might be a problem out there with a thirty ton lot or anything like that? Oh, indeed, yeah. I mean, uh, after um, at at the point of processing and and packing, when the the seed agent is packing the seed, 
Uh, as I said, that'll be done in 30 tonne lots. From each of those 30 tonnes, then we will take either two or three samples. Um, one sample is retained for reference. Another sample is sent to the sea testing laboratory to do a germination and purity test, and in some cases, a disease test. For instance, we would uh, occasionally do our, uh, some tests for loose smut, for instance. Uh, so uh, the, the, each lot is then uh, checked uh, as it goes through. It has a, a unique um, code which uh, is, is actually quoted on the label. So we know from the label what each lot is and where it has come from. And we know what the germination of it is. Uh, we know what the purity of it is. Uh, we know uh, we can track where it's gone uh, through the agents. Uh, and then for pre-basic and basic seed, we have what are called pre-control plots. So from every lot, we take a sample and we plant those out here in Beckweston. And we'll monitor that throughout the course of the year to see if there's anything that shows up in it that we need to alert growers to. Uh, we also take a, a certain number of samples from the C1 seed. Uh, we used to do it all years back, but we don't have the resources to do it anymore because there's huge numbers of uh, a huge amount of C1 seed, so we'd have an awful lot of plots if we did all that. But we do a certain uh, number of them just to, to do spot checks on them. So we have between the pre-control plots in the pre-basic and the basic seed, and the post-controls that we have for the C, some of the C1 seed, we do, uh, we're, we're able to check everything, but we have a sample of everything. So if there's a problem at any point along the way, we can check back on that reference sample. And also the seed testing laboratory, of course, have done uh, tests for germination and purity on every lot that goes out. So uh, every lot is only cleared for labeling after it has a satisfactory germination, which is 85 minimum of 85%, and satisfactory purity, which as Tim said, is up in the, the high 99.7, 99.9, depending on, on the category. Okay, so huge, huge amount of checking all the way through the system. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Jerry, are there any other kind of tests that that the department carry out that that we should be, I suppose, pointing out to growers to make sure to give them a little bit more confidence in the whole process? Okay. Well, in uh, for as as Tim described earlier, uh, some of the seed when it comes in, it's it's all bulked together. Uh, so we take a number of samples from that, and we do what are called preliminary tests. So those tests are done on the undressed seed. And uh, normally, if we get, as I say, the minimum germination is 85%. If we get uh, those coming back in the, the 90s, which we did this year, no problem, uh, we'd be pretty confident that that will pass the official germination test. But we also have a, a second test, which is a tetrazoleum test, which is an indication of the seed viability. And again, we have a kind of rule of thumb, if it's over 95% on the tetrazoleum, we'd be pretty confident that it'll pass the official germination. And then the final uh, test is the official germination, which is done by the seed testing laboratory. And that is done on the packed dressed seed at the very end, where we take a sample from that. And uh, if that is over the 80, minimum 85%, then it has passed for as certified seed. So um, this year was no problem. We had a good harvest. Uh, germinations were very high and, and moisture was good and, and uh, we didn't have any issues. So that's essentially the, the checks that are done on the, on the final seed that goes out to the grower. 
Okay. Okay. Great. Tim, could I go back to you with it for a second and just, just step back just 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 a little bit? Um, and really just thinking here about some of the tests that might be carried out. But uh, you know, essentially all cereal seeds, at least anyway, receive some sort of a seed dressing uh, fungicide before they go onto the market. What sort of decision process do you put in place uh, to decide about one fungicide over another to, to go on as a seed dressing? Uh, very simply, Michael, we we take the Department of Agriculture uh, laboratory test, which is the pathology, and that goes through, depending on the species, it looks at Mycodokium mavali, it looks at Fusarium, it looks at um, if there's presence of ergot, um, if there's a presence of leaf stripe or presence of net blotch. All of those uh, seed-borne diseases are tested by the Department of Agriculture, and that's our the foundation of our decision process. Um, just coming back to something, you know, Jerry said we had a very good harvest this year. That's correct, um, but I know certainly that in, we've had levels, very high levels of Mycodokium navale on some seed lots where we actually had to go and get second, um, or I have to go. We actually had to cancel one lot of winter barley seed. Uh, because there was high levels of mycodokium. And that's something that I suppose certified seed is able to, um, you know, guarantee the grower that there is a pathology test there. Um, if there's high levels of mycodokium navale or some other seedling diseases, uh, determination may be good, but it can have an effect later on in the life cycle of the plant. Depending on the species, the date of sowing, the harvest or the, the weather that comes after, that can have a major influence on final plant population. And um, it's the experience of the seed assembler there that actually comes into that. Um, I mean, depending on, you know, some fungicides are cleared for some crops, they're not cleared for others. Uh, they might be a little bit better on one disease over the other. And that's really the, the main reason. I suppose the, big, the, the biggest difference will be like the likes of a latitude is specific for um, a take-all scenario. Um, perhaps there's some, others, there's some other seed dressings that are a little bit stronger on one over the other. Uh, but it, it all relates back to the pathology and our own experience looking at the seed. Certainly, like sounds like a very considered decision, Tim. So that, uh, as you say, yeah. the grower, the grower, um, you know, has real confidence not only with the quality that's there in the first place, but also that uh, to put up with any conditions that that, that were there um, uh, around the harvest, so so that um, the seed is going to come through in, in in the best possible manner in his own field. So finally, Tim, I just wanted to get your opinion, I suppose, of um, I suppose either your companies or maybe in a general sense in Ireland, is there any more possibility to grow seed in Ireland? Maybe not necessarily maybe for our own domestic market, but maybe for export. And if you do, is there any impediments out there that uh, are, are in the way? And maybe is there anything that the industry could do to help you know, get over those impediments? Yeah, I mean, look, within seed tech, we've been producing exported seed, uh, oilseed rape for a, no for a long number of years. And a, a lot of the people listening would have grown oilseed rape forests for those crops. Um, for cereals, it's not as much um, an issue because the, the weight of the cereal just doesn't justify the transport at a commercial rate, Michael. Um, so other countries are quite happy to produce their own seed. Uh, the oilseed rape is a little bit different. Um, I suppose, look, the issue at the moment is... Um, and like, I mean, it's to do with Brexit has, you know, taken a lot of the nearby options away from the seed trade. So if there is a requirement to take in a seed because 
there was a bad harvest in Ireland, such as happened in 2012. Uh, there was a, a small amount of oat seed available in 2018 because of the drought. Certain things like that happen every five to 10 years. And up to now, um, the UK was our first port to call in sea trade to get that buffer stock. But certainly with Brexit, and it's only really in the last three months that it has really hit home that it's making it almost impossible to get uh, that nearby seed. Certainly, I mean, I would say you'd want to be ordering seed now three to six months in advance of requiring it, which is a very hard thing for the seed trade to do in Ireland because we don't know what problems we have until possibly the week or two before we go to dress stuff. Um, so, like, our next port of call will be the continent, and transport costs are higher. The, the cost of seed on the continent is always higher than the United Kingdom. Um, so, look, I would expect that if we do end up with a shortage again, in like a 2012 or a 2018, that the replacement stock seed is going to be a little bit more expensive than what we're being used to. Okay. So plenty of difficulties out there, Tim. Um, but, and I suppose Brexit is is coming in to hit us in all sorts of very different areas, um, whether it's um, seed or parts or anything, it's it's coming in lots of different places. Yeah. Um, Tim, thank you very much for your time. And Jerry, thanks for your time as well. I'm delighted to have you on. And look, there's so much more we could have talked about and there's so much more depth we could have got into here. It's a really fascinating area and I think that's probably unappreciated maybe by the growers who are buying the seed, the final customers with regards to everything that goes into producing seed in Ireland. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thanks, Michael. So that's it for the Tilly Judge this week. My thanks to Tim and Jerry for joining me on the podcast. And finally, don't forget, if you like this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.